I was uh, telling some people as we were getting ready to worship this morning, this reminds me of the first time I preached in Russia in, uh, gosh, 1999 or 2000. And uh, some of the churches there would meet in these uh, former Soviet cultural centers. And these were, at the time when they were built, they were pretty extravagant. They seated about 1,000 people. But they had fallen into disrepair, and so they let the Protestant churches use them. And it was March, and it had been snowing, and it was probably about 30 degrees. And we went into this cultural center, and uh, I got up to preach, and there were about 30 people uh, spread, <laughs> spread out through this whole place, and they were all wearing fur hats <laughs> and fur coats. And so I'm thinking, you know, that might not be a bad thing this morning. And... Uh, <clears throat> I got up and in my usual style tried to be funny. And of course, they had no idea what I was talking about. And so the entire sermon, they simply sat there in their fur hats and fur coats staring at me like I was a foreigner, which I was. Anyway, uh, it's not quite as bad in here this morning, but thanks for, for bearing with us. Um, it is a little bit chilly in here this morning. I want to begin this morning, um, actually, as we, as I preach this morning, I'm going to be looking at bits and pieces of four chapters in the Gospel of John, primarily in John 15. But I want to read from John 14 and John 15 uh, this morning as we begin. And so if you are the person who likes to uh, stick your thumb in the Bible, turn to the Gospel of John and uh, listen to the Word of God this morning from John 14 to begin with, chapter 14, verse 11. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says this, Believe in me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of all the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, I am the true vine, Jesus said, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You've already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. 
You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you to go and to bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. This is the word of the Lord. If I told you that you could talk to Jesus Christ for 15 minutes this morning and you could make one request of him, what would your request be? What would you ask Jesus? If you could ask him anything, anything at all, what would it be? His disciples had the opportunity to ask In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke tells us that they came to Jesus one day with a request. Lord, teach us to pray. Why, of all things that they could have asked for, did they ask Jesus for this? Teach us to pray. I think it was because they saw the role that prayer played in Jesus' life. And not only the role it played, but the results that it produced. They saw him pray, and they saw what happened as a result of him praying. It's interesting that the disciples listened to Jesus preach great sermons. They watched him perform miracles, heal the sick, restore sight to the blind, and even raise people from the dead. But never once did they ask, Lord, teach us to preach. Or, Lord, teach us to to do miracles. Or, Lord, teach us to raise people from the dead. Instead, they ask him to teach them to pray. They seem to recognize that prayer was what sustained Jesus. And they recognize that it was foundational to his life. And I want to suggest this morning that there's nothing more vital, there's nothing more foundational, there's nothing more important to our lives of faith than prayer. And even as I say that, I recognize that some of us are overcome with guilt right now. Oh, great, he's going to tell me I don't pray enough. Well, none of us do, but I'm not going to say that this morning because I just said it. We're beginning a month-long sermon series this morning called Prayer Changes Everything. And in fact... Prayer changes everything. There are several reasons that we've chosen to do this. First of all, it seems to me, and I can't speak for my colleague, Pastor Dick, but most Christians, most of us, know more about our favorite sports teams than we do about prayer. And secondly, there are a lot of misconceptions about prayer. There's a great deal of misunderstanding about what prayer is, how we do it, or don't do it, how it works, and why it's important. For example, some people approach prayer superstitiously. They treat it like a magic wand. They wave it at something like a problem or a difficult situation. They say a few magic words and they hope they get what they want. 
Now, clearly, this is an overstatement, but this is what some of us do. Others approach prayer out of desperation. All of us, I would suggest from time to time, approach prayer out of desperation. Only after everything else has failed, (laughs) we pray. It's a last resort. When things finally fall apart, then we pray. It's like the church leader who came to her pastor one day with a problem... The pastor said, and I hope I've never said this, by the way. I probably have. Well, I guess all we can do is pray. And she responded, has it come to that? (laughs) But think about that for a minute. I mean, we, we really do this from time to time. Has it really come to that? Has it gotten so bad that I need to pray? For many, prayer is the last thing they turn to rather than the first thing for some prayer is a religious game that they play with god trying to convince god to do something nice for them to bless them if you will it's kind of like a sales pitch they keep pestering god until god gets so irritated with them that he finally gives into their request and does what they ask some of us view prayer that way But most people, most of us, I believe, approach prayer out of a sense of religious duty, out of guilt, or worse, out of the belief that if we don't pray, God will somehow punish us or hold it against us. It's perhaps the most common and most dangerous misconception that there is about prayer. I know... I'm speaking for all of us right now. I know I should pray. Yes, pastor. I know I should pray more. (laughs) In fact, I really should pray all the time because if I don't, I'm going to be on God's bad list. And as a result, many of us go through meaningless rituals, repeating the same words, phrases, cliches, over and over, hoping that something, hoping that anything will happen. And prayer for people like this is simply a boring exercise that they must do rather than something that they enjoy. I think it's one of the reasons when we attempt to gather people together to pray. uh, And you can talk to pastor after pastor. So have you been successful gathering the church together to pray? No. Oh, we have a handful of people show up. Why is that? I think it's because people have misconceptions about what it is. And so hopefully, as we gather on Wednesday evenings, I want to encourage you to come and be a part of that. We're going to help that not be the case, where we sit around in a circle and kind of stare at each other and don't know what to say or how to pray. So we'll talk more about that. If you and I approach prayer as duty as religious ritual or out of guilt we've missed the point we've really missed the point if we're having difficulty praying if we're thinking i should pray i must pray i have to pray more then i don't think we really understand prayer and we'll say more about this as we go along in this series i hope dick and i can put to rest some of these misconceptions and misunderstandings about prayer. 
So this morning, I just want to look at John 14, a piece of John 14 and John 15, and consider why we pray. Why we pray. John 15 is one of four chapters, 13, 14, and 16 are the other ones, in which Jesus is sharing with his disciples some final weighty words before he's crucified. He tells them repeatedly, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised from the dead, and I'm going to return to heaven. And although I won't be with you physically, I'm going to send an advocate, my spirit, who will live with you and be in you. It's interesting, that phrase. He will live with you and he will be in you. And this is what he tells his disciples and what he tells us. This Holy Spirit will allow us to communicate intimately with one another, even though, Jesus says, I won't be with you physically. You can talk to me through prayer. And in this chapter, Jesus at least intimates three reasons why we pray. First of all, we pray to express our devotion and our dependence upon God. Our devotion to and our dependence upon God. Prayer is an act of dedicating ourselves to God. Telling God that we need Him. Notice the difference. Not telling God so much what we need from Him, but telling God that we need Him. But do we? Do we need God, really? Aren't we quite capable, most of us? Can't we do things quite well on our own? Haven't we managed to navigate life pretty well so far? Ever since sin entered the world, humankind has vastly overestimated its abilities. That's my opinion. The truth is, our biggest problem with prayer, it seems to me, is admitting that we need God's help. That's where it begins. Admitting that we need God's help. Most of us simply don't want to admit that we're helpless in many ways or that we're inadequate. We're confident that we can handle things, that we can deal with things on our own. And for the most part, we think we've got it together. But in prayer, we admit to God that we need Him. That we need His help. That we need Him in our lives. It's an act of dedication. And it's a declaration of our devotion to and our dependence upon God. We don't like to be dependent people. We don't even like to admit that we're dependent upon God. In verses 5 through 7 in chapter 15... Jesus uses this illustration of a grapevine. Now, entire sermon series have been preached on this. I want to mention this, though. The grapevine, to illustrate our dependence upon God. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. 
Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask, listen to this, ask for whatever you wish. If you abide in me, ask for whatever you wish and what? It will be done for you. Did he really mean that? In other words, if we depend on God, if we place our full trust in him, as I read this, he'll give us whatever we ask for. Wow. Unbelievable. But like a branch that's connected to a vine, if we're cut off, or if we cut ourselves off, if we disconnect from God, if we fail to pray, if we fail to stay connected and express our dependence upon God, what happens? We wither and we die. And he goes on here to say that we're not only wither, we not only wither and die, but we're thrown into a pile and burned up. There's a nice picture. Feel pretty good this morning, though, actually, to have some heat going on in here. I watched, uh, I like to watch the History Channel from time to time. It used to be better, I think. It's kind of gone downhill. It's all this reality stuff. Anyway, I watched a program recently about a deep-sea diving expedition, and some of you may have seen this, to recover gold from an ancient shipwreck in the North Atlantic. The divers talked about how they were lowered nearly 800 feet below the surface. Can you imagine that? In a diving bell, and they were kept alive by a single air hose. The hose was literally their lifeline, their support system. It was the only connection between them and between them, between life and death for them, really. In the same way, and this might sound drastic to you, but it's true, prayer is our lifeline, our support system. If it's severed, you and I run out of spiritual air. Prayer is an act of dedication. It demonstrates our dependence upon God. Simply coming to God to pray says something about how we depend on God. Until we realize how desperately we need God, I don't think we'll pray. Next, we pray to communicate with God and to understand his purpose for our life. We pray to communicate with God and to understand his purpose for our life. The truth is, we can't understand God or his purpose for our life unless we communicate with him, okay? And we can't communicate effectively with God unless we understand our relationship with God. So what is our relationship with God? In verses 15 and 16, Jesus says this, and we actually sang about it earlier. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. Friends make known to each other everything. And Jesus did this with his disciples. And he does this with us. He says, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and to bear fruit. Fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. Jesus tells us here that the reason we can ask anything 
in prayer is because Jesus Christ is our friend. I used to kind of push back on this friend language, and it used to bug me as the Covenant Church, we'd always refer to ourselves as mission friends, which historically that's who we've been, friends with God and friends with those who love God. But it's everywhere in the Gospel of John, this friendship language. It's amazing. God says, I don't treat you like servants. I treat you as friends. It seems to me that one of the reasons we have such a hard time praying is because we fail to recognize what a privilege it is to talk to God. But here in this passage, Jesus invites us to talk with him as a friend. Think about your conversations with friends. They're very different, I suppose, than when you pray. The creator, the king of the universe, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the one that we prayed to earlier, that we adore, is our friend. Is our friend. Another reason most of us struggle with prayer is because we have great difficulty believing that God is truly interested in our miserable little lives. Right? Does God really care about my job? Does God really care about my marriage? Does God care about my relationships? Does God care about all the million and one things that I care about? And the answer is yes, God does. We can't comprehend that the creator of the universe, the entire universe and everything in it, is interested in us. <laughs> but he is. Or that he cares deeply about the things that matter most to us. I find myself doing this all the time. I think, I don't want to bother God with this, you know, irrelevant nonsense. And yet, God cares deeply about what we care about. When we finally discover how much God loves us and how deeply he cares, prayer no longer becomes a duty or a struggle but a privilege and an honor and an absolute joy because we are communicating with a friend. So we pray as an act of dedication. It's the way that we express our devotion and our dependence on God. We pray as an act of communication. It's the way that we talk with God and understand His purpose for our life. And finally, we pray to cooperate with God as he accomplishes his work in the world. I think this is the most exciting thing about prayer. It's an act of cooperation. I wonder if you've thought about it that way. God has chosen us to join him in his work in the world, to cooperate with him through prayer as his great work of salvation unfolds on this earth in ways that we can't even imagine. Think about this. God has chosen to limit himself to what he can accomplish on earth by limiting himself to the faith of his children, you and me. To a large degree, God's work on this earth depends on you and me. In other words, what we trust God to do 
he will do. And when we ask him to do it, he will in fact do it. For example, when we pray for other people, which we do all the time, we're cooperating with God. We're participating with him to accomplish his work in not only in people's lives, but in the world. Perhaps the most amazing and troubling verse in all of Scripture is found in John 14. And if you have your finger in the Bible, turn to John 14, verse 12. And I read this earlier, but listen to this again. I hope this you know, warms you up, shakes you up. Jesus says to his disciples, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And in fact, what? Will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. So, the disciples, you and me, will do greater things than Jesus did. What have you been doing lately? Raising the dead? Healing the sick? Walking on water? feeding thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and some fish? Have you been doing what Jesus has been doing? In fact, have you been doing greater things? I have to admit, if there's any verse in Scripture that I have a difficult time believing, it's this one. I don't see myself doing greater things than Jesus did. And I'm wondering if you do. And even asking that, I doubt that you do. But look at verse 13, and this kind of clears things up for me. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. So how is it possible to do greater things than Jesus did? It's possible by praying. By simply praying, by asking. When we pray, if I read this correctly, we can do greater things than Jesus Christ did while he was here on earth. The truth is, prayer is limitless in power. People will reject our appeals, our arguments. They will even reject us personally, but they're totally defenseless against our prayers. God can change the course of history and has by people praying. Prayer really does change everything. It changes us, it changes others, and it changes the world that we live in, and it changes the future. It changes everything. Six times in these chapters, Jesus says, if you will ask, I will answer. My paraphrase. If you will ask, I will do it. Your part is to simply ask in faith. My part, Jesus says, is to do it. In other words, if we will pray, God will do it. He will answer our prayers. And even as I say that this morning, and you know this is true, there are times when we pray like crazy and we feel like God doesn't answer our prayers. And Pastor Dick is going to talk about that in a few weeks. I gave him the easiest topic in prayer. No, but it's true. I mean, I know that that's going through your mind as you hear this. 
If we pray, God will do it. We cooperate with God's work in the world when we pray. God is already doing stuff in our lives and people's lives and the world that we can't see, we don't understand. We enter into that work of God by praying. And, in fact, as Scripture says, we will do greater things. The great evangelist and pastor, Dwight Moody, once said, every great movement of God can be traced to a single praying, kneeling figure. This morning, I provided a simple introduction to this whole topic of prayer. In the next few weeks, Pastor Dick and I will look at how we pray, how we hear God's response, how we pray for others, how we, how we respond when God doesn't seem to answer our prayers. And I also want to invite you again to join us on Wednesday evenings, not this Wednesday, but starting the following Wednesday as we explore more about prayer. And I want to end with a personal appeal, if you will. I want our church to be a praying church. And in saying that, I understand and I know that, that many of us, many of you pray faithfully. Um, and I'm grateful for that. I think it's difficult corporately to get the church to pray. I want that for our church. A praying church is a holy church. It's a committed church. And it's an enthusiastic church. Churches that pray see miracles happen. <laughs> people that pray see miracles happen. And people get excited about that. Wouldn't you agree that we need some miracles in our church? And that we need some miracles in our own lives? I do. Some of us, some of you, perhaps need a miracle in your marriage. Or a miracle in regard to your health. Or a miracle in regards to your job or your finances. Your family, a million things. A healthy, growing church is a church that sees God act, and God acts when we pray. I hope in the months to come we can have people stand up here and say, you know what, this is what happened in my life. This is what happened in my family. This is a result of praying. That's the kind of church I want us to be. There's nothing more exciting and faith-building and inspiring than seeing God answer prayer. It's been a long time since I've been in a service where I said, okay, well, what has God done for you lately? What prayers has God answered recently in your life? We used to do this when I was in college in our, in our church. And people stand up and say, well, God did this and God did that. And it's like, wow, God is really active. God, God, God shows up other than on Sunday mornings. As Jesus reminds us, if we ask for anything in his name, in faith, he will do it. Amen.